As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Special Landcast for you here uh, Tom, we generally record on Monday mornings and post to start the week, but we wanted to take a step back. So we've got a Tuesday VanCast to start the week here, and I know that the Canucks played last night and McDavid did what McDavid does and the Canucks are into their final 10 games. That matters, but in the grand scheme, not really, because the events of the weekend included the allegations against Jake Vertanen, the fact that the team has placed Vertanen on leave now, and we we couldn't ignore the story. Obviously, I you know we no. come here three times a week. We talk hockey. We like to have fun. We try to keep it light. Uh, but sometimes life gets in the way, and that's where we are here. And this is a story that has to be discussed. And quite frankly, I it's a delicate story. And you know you got to be a little careful of where you go with it. I know you wrote, and I think you handled it. Uh, uh, with great sensitivity on the weekend in the wake of this news coming out Saturday and Jake Vertanen being placed on leave by the hockey club. And there's still some question about, you know, what ultimately that means uh, for his relation with the team now and and moving forward. Uh, there were the events late in the day on Saturday before the game where Travis Green was forced to step forward and, you know, answer uh, or at least be the one that was put up by the hockey club. Uh, to make some sort of remark, even though he didn't have much to say. The statement is out there, and we felt it was important to address this and bring in somebody that has done extraordinary work in this realm of the sports world. And Katie Strang uh, is that person, and she's going to join us here in a couple of minutes on the podcast, and I'm looking forward uh, to getting her expertise on this. Because again, quite frankly, like I'm a guy that's used to covering pucks in deep (laughs) and that kind of stuff. Um... And so I'm really glad that we have somebody that has the experience of Katie in delving into these difficult stories. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot that you and I can learn from her in terms of how to talk about and cover these issues. There's a lot that our listeners can learn from her as well. Um, Really appreciate Katie coming on and and we think everyone will enjoy that conversation. But, you know, fair warning off the top, right? We We are discussing intimate partner violence and the coverage of intimate partner violence in depth on this episode. Um, and that's that's what we intend to do. We think it's important to do that with a special VanCast episode today. Just walk, walk me through a little bit. Again, if people haven't read your piece, mm-hmm. it was posted on the weekend. Uh, and I, again, I say this takes us out of our comfort zone a little bit. I, 
just walk me through the thought process of, you know, how you ultimately were able to formulate your thoughts and get them out there, um, you know, and, and what you were trying to to get across in that piece. Yeah, I mean, it was a very difficult day to cover hockey, right? And sure, I mean, with the rumors that had surfaced on social media the day prior, um, you know, I sort of woke up ready, like I woke up battle ready in in a different way than than I usually do with with a game. Like it, it, I wasn't just looking forward to the availability or planning for that. Um, you know, I was prepared for a long day, um, and. You know, that, that is how it unfolded. Uh, so, you know, the, the moment, though, that Vertanen wasn't on the ice, the moment I saw Chris Johnston tweet that Vertanen wasn't on the ice for morning skate, that was, you know, uh, a pretty significant data point that something was going to unfold of, of significant interest for the hockey club. And honestly, I just sort of read and reacted. And, and I had some time. Like, I was up at 7.30. I was texting my regular sort of Canucks contacts and no one was getting back to me. And that's always a tell that something, you know, right. uh, um, you know, that that's a pit in your stomach feeling, right. Um, as a reporter, right. Where you're just like, Oh, something, something is up. And so, you know, I honestly, I spent the day, like I was reading through the policies that the NBA, the NFL and the MLB have put out. Uh, they publicized their sort of conduct policy as I was reading those. I was sort of reacting to the fact that the NHL doesn't have one. That's an old frustration point of mine, to be totally honest with you, like dating back to my uh, days in Team PR. Honestly, I, I always thought it was a little odd. Um, and then, you know, I, I mean, I read Alana Kelly's reporting from Glacier Media. I thought she did a tremendous job. And from there, I, you know, I just thought it was important to – write something that emphasized the importance of treating this like not a sports story, right? Like usually an event happens around the Canucks and it's like almost a competition. Like who has the craziest take, right? Like right. you don't yeah. even have, you know, and, and I mean, look, you and I, we like to have the best take, but I mean, there's rewards in this market sometimes for just having the craziest one. And it's so important in this instance to separate, to separate the allegations from hockey itself to look at it independently of, you know, sort of the myriad catastrophes that this club has endured this season and to do it with a level of restraint that I don't think is a specialty of, of sports journalists, myself included, by the way. And so that those were sort of the scattered thoughts that I just kind of wanted to present as sort of a, a beginning to a conversation um, in reaction to it and, and, you know, a conversation that really tried to center um, the need for care, empathy and taking these allegations seriously, um, you know, as, as this story sort of begins to unfold in our marketplace. Yeah, I mean, we're at a point where, you know, it's all about hot takery around this hockey club, but this is not a time nor a place. And I hope people can understand that and respect that this is a slightly different van cast. Yeah, we did one of these with COVID uh, at the height of the COVID yep. crisis as well with Justin McElroy from CBC. And, and it was well, re well received and, and hopefully this one will be as well. It's not all about what happens on the ice. Sometimes you just got to step back and, and recognize that there are stories that uh, are far more important than the, the wins and losses. And this one has to play out. Like there's no rush to judgment at all here. Uh, this has to play out and it will. And ultimately uh, we'll see where things go. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Katie Strang is a senior enterprise and investigative writer for The Athletic. She's tackled a number of sensitive and difficult stories over her years of investigative reporting for ESPN and now here at The Athletic. You can find her on Twitter at Katie J. Strang. Katie, thanks so much for doing this. And and I, I just want to get into this by asking you, with your experience delving into these types of stories as you have over the years, I'm curious, like what immediately springs to your investigative mind when you initially hear sort of the bombshell that an NHL player has been placed on leave amid sexual misconduct allegations? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think there's still a lot that's unknown. Um, So for me to sort of weigh in on a situation with a degree of specificity is difficult. But, you know, I think Durant sort of hit the nail on the head with his column um, this weekend, which is to say and really underscore the need to deal with this situation with the appropriate level of empathy and care. And to realize, you know, the gravity of this situation in that um, in the context, right? So I appreciated it so much um, that, you know, you didn't talk about it in the context of hockey or, you know, sort of the other, you know, you know, myriad issues that the, you know, Canucks have had over the season, but that this, the gravity, the seriousness, the nature of this um, warrants its own very nuanced discussion that recognizes the humanity and sensitivity of the situation. What about the way the team has initially reacted to this? A, A statement, I thought a fairly strong statement where they laid out, you know, their policy and and absolutely no tolerance for uh, sexual misconduct of any kind and put a player on leave. Like, does that suggest to you a level of seriousness, an appropriate level of seriousness from the hockey club through this? It does. And I'm I'm actually going to highlight one thing that I was heartened by in reading the statement, which is that they, it's, it appears as if they have outsourced the investigation to an external firm. I think that's really important to have um, a level of sort of, for there to be a firewall, right? You don't want the people investigating um, a situation like this um, to have any sort of conflicts of interest. So I think, you know, outsourcing it to not only an entity outside of the organization, but one that has ample experience dealing with issues like this um, and investigations like this is a really smart move. I, I was somewhat surprised that it felt as if the coach um, was sort of trotted out there to ask these questions. I, you know, I think in a situation like this, it makes more sense sense for um, someone in senior management, like a GM or even ownership, uh, to make a statement or to field any questions. But um, beyond that, th- that was sort of my initial read on the situation. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Katie, and for your kind words about the column. Uh, I agree with you on the coach thing. And and one of the reasons uh, is just that the coach has to speak on game day anyway. You know, you, you almost... No matter who goes out there, you're going to no comment and refer back to the statement. But 
but it felt like a situation where someone more senior had to talk to it just to signal the gravity, you know, in, in a way that matched the statement that they made, if that makes sense. Um, you, you talked about the outsourcing part and I, and I just want to, I just want to ask you in your experience, cause I know you reported, for example, on like the Mets hiring Wilmer Hale in New York. Um, there are increasingly two, as I've been asking around on this, uh, in the legal community, uh, in Vancouver over the past 24 hours, um, there are two, a bunch of like accounting firms that have sort of built out their inve- investigative and forensic arms in, in recent years. Um, you know, a, a KPGI, for example. And, uh, I've been told that that's occasionally a mechanism that organizations will go to if they want to conduct an internal review, but perhaps want it to be a little less independent than what you get with a, an experienced law firm or, or a boutique law firm with this sort of specialization. Now, the Canucks to this point are holding the name of the investigator very close to the vest. Um, how do you? How would you react to that just in terms of like a, an initial reporter's sniff test? Um, how important is it? to have a sense of who a team has contracted to do this type of investigation? You know, I, I think ideally you'd love to know a little bit about that investigation in, in terms of knowing what other um, types of investigations they've handled in the past and what their commitment to transparency about the process might look like. Mm-hmm. Um for instance, like down here, um, you have several white shoe law firms that, um, you know, there's a handful of them that are very commonly used in university investigations right. of how a university handles sexual assault or sexual misconduct or Title IX investigations. Um, so there's a, a few prominent ones that have sort of like you know, really made a mark in that space within that investigative field. Um, However, I will say that, you know, though that's ideal, oftentimes like there, there will be, you know, client um, attorney privilege, Mm -hmm. right? So um, unless an organization is committed to, you know, making the findings public, which I think there's more public pressure to do when it's a public institution like a, um, a state institution or a public university, right. um, you know, oftentimes there isn't, it, it's not like you can call up the investigator who's handling it and nope. expect to get, you know, clear answers, which, which is part of the process, right? And part of, you know, keeping it a robust process um, to those people involved that, you know, feel comfortable speaking freely, right? Like that that's part of why you grant confidentiality or anonymity mm-hmm. sometimes um, in cases like this is so that people do feel comfortable sharing what they know. And the NHL, of course, doesn't have a specific conduct policy as it pertains to, you know, SV, DV, child abuse, for example, uh, which are sort of the three that are spelled out by both the NBA and the um, not the NFL, the MLB's policies, right? But then the NFL has sort of a wider conduct policy that specifically addresses these issues within it. The NHL doesn't make anything public. And yet, where we've landed in terms of what the Canucks statement indicates about Vertanen, and and we know that the NHL was involved um, in formulating the response, suggests that the league's response actually does hue closely to what we see from the other leagues. 
Uh, does that suggest anything to you in terms of maybe the NHL having a more fleshed out approach than they've made public? Like, is this a matter of them holding cards close to the vest? I I do think so. I I think that the reality is um, whether it's codified or not, mm-hmm. they probably handle it in a pretty similar way as, as some of the other major professional sporting leagues. Um, and my guess, mm-hmm. I would say this is an educated guess on, on, you know, reporting this previously is that, the, you know, if they were talking about this to you privately, they'd probably say by not having sort of, set criterion or a codified system, we have a wider berth within which to navigate how to deal with this situation that gives us more latitude to um, be nimble and to adjust. um, And I'm in perhaps, you know, handle it in a situation um, that wouldn't, you know, prompt an automatic grievance or something like that. However, you know, I'm, I'm team transparency, right? Mm -hmm. So, I I will always sort of default to um, I think it is helpful to codify a policy that encompasses um, any sort of intimate partner violence, domestic violence, sexual, gendered violence, Mm -hmm. child abuse. I think having institutional guardrails and criterion that are very clear and spelled out is always best practice. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm sure that it's hard for me to imagine that that is not um, on the horizon for the NHL very soon. Yeah. Katie, you've made a career of tackling these topics. And I, and I wonder, you know, we're at a point in time, too, where we as the storytellers, I think, worry about, you know, how we tell these stories for fear of looking like you're taking a side or saying something that ultimately is going to come back to you know, to get you as a reporter, uh, like when I, like if I ask the question, you know, if Jake Furtanen is cleared of all of this, ultimately, you know, does he have a chance at resuming an NHL career in Vancouver or elsewhere? Like, I, I'm worried that that makes me sound like I'm taking Furtanen's side in this, as opposed to showing the necessary respect to the woman involved here. Yeah. So what I try to do is like really sort of um, excise the hockey context when it comes to this. So like Mm -hmm. for me, this is just me personally, but like I, I hope I have never done this in the past, but I try very hard not to sort of contextualize a player's place in the lineup or what his absence might mean. What, you know, um, any sort of situation that arises with him um, might mean for his playing future. Like, to me, those other people can bother with that stuff. And, and maybe that makes me sort of a um, myopic journalist. But when it comes to a situation like this, I want to deal with this situation. And I don't really want to deal with like sort of the hockey implications until, you know, it's truly warranted. Right. Which is probably when you're getting into sort of an adjudication disciplinary process, but when it's in such sort of like preliminary stages, um, I just feel like that is sort of losing um, the focus on what matters. And what matters to me is like the very real human element mm-hmm. here. So to um, really appreciate the scope and the gravity 
um, of a situation and who, like the human cost, the human echo, um, and how it impacts people, the reverberations of, of how a certain situation impacts everyone involved. Every case is different, obviously. And right now we're dealing with an internal investigation on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, that says nothing about any sort of criminal investigation if it gets to to that point. From your experience, like we're in a point in time where there's always the rush to judgment. People want the, the answers now. Um, and we just have to let the process play itself out. Other cases that you've covered, uh, like any sort of sense of time of how long these types of investigations can take? It can, it's, you know, it varies widely um, and it can, you know, it's dictated by a, a large number of um, sort of factors, whether there is a parallel, um, you know, law enforcement investigation, you know, whether there is a league investigation, whether there is um, other other women who come forward in in a, in a situation like this, um, you know, whether there are um, one of the things that I do when I deal with a situation like this um, is I there are things that we call like micro corroborations, right? So, in you know, in a in a non sort of intimate partner or sexual violence crime, you know, sometimes there are witnesses, right? But um, in in a case of, you know, sexual misconduct or potential sexual assault, um, the more likely sort of corroborative um, evidence that is that is out there is, is often in the form of contemporaneous disclosures. So if someone has gone through a trauma, they will often um, tell those around them about the tra trauma that they have endured. So, you know, I, it, it just depends on all these factors in terms of what facts are available um, and, you know, what the person coming forward um, seeks in this situation, whether it's, you know, pursuing any, any sort of action through the criminal justice system, whether, um, you know, all these other sort of methods for like, you know, restitution, reconciliation, anything really. And so there's just so many factors and variables. It's really hard to pin down um, sure. a timeline on this. I want to frame this the right way and, and ask it carefully, but the analogy that was on my mind, I suppose, as I wrote that column this weekend was the uh, was it shitty media guys? Do you remember the shitty media guys list? And that's in sure. litigation at the moment, right? Uh, because there was this survivors forum out of Victoria that sort of first circulated these rumors, uh, which were sort of going around on social media. It sort of metastasized to Twitter. And then, of course, uh, Alana Kelly out of Glacier Media was able to bring that into the public record. Um, you know, and, and without that, as a reporter, you know, I'm, we see these tweets, but we understand that they're in a closed forum. Like that's not public record. That's a survivor's forum. It's, it's a different thing. Um, how, how do these challenges, right? Like how do these different types of lists and new sort of forms of, um, you know, essentially like bathroom stall walls, right. In terms of whisper networks, but they exist online and they're, like they look like something that would usually be public record to us, but they're not like, how does that challenge 
reporting on these topics from your perspective, um, you know, in a, in a wider sense? Uh, you know, I don't know if I consider it a challenge, but rather, you know, a multitude of different avenues that, um, you know, people seek out in terms of sharing their experiences and stories. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's, you know, a really positive thing. And from my understanding about um, the Survivors Project, it, it seems very based in the idea of community, mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing because, you know, anyone that has reported on or endured um, sexual assault can tell you that um, one of the sort of more insidious byproducts is isolation. And so for there ever to be a sense of community and structure and solidarity for people that have um, endured an intense personal and painful trauma, I think is a really positive thing and is a network um, with, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of resource to uh, a community. Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to, you know, public record versus, um, you know, I, I guess a, a bit more informal. Yeah. Um, I have sort of a general abiding philosophy as a journalist, um, which is take all sexual assault or sexual misconduct allegations seriously, which means to listen um, with, you know, empathy and compassion and also to verify. Um, and in that verification process means um, being sort of as meticulous and thorough in my reporting as I can. So, like I mentioned earlier, to seek out others to whom someone might have disclosed a trauma, to talk to others that might have even, um, you know, noticed a difference in demeanor or any sort of behavioral changes um, in a point in time on that sort of chronological scale when that trauma mm -hmm. happened, right? Like to, to, um, you know, seek out sort of any corroborative evidence such as like, you know, text messages, screenshots, photos, um, any sort of, you know, sometimes people uh, journals, like, um, people memorialize their experiences in a broad number of ways. And I think it would surprise a lot of people. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of annoys me about, reporting on this type of stuff is like, I always have people say like, where's the evidence? Like, you know, which is, I think a bit unrealistic, unrealistic to think like you're going to have forensic evidence necessarily at your fingertips. However, I, I think we need to broaden how we sort of envision what evidence looks like. And um, I think most people like don't quite understand that even in within the legal system, like a person's testimony is evidentiary material. A mm -hmm. person contemporaneous disclosure is evidentiary material. Um, all those things, it doesn't have to be a police report to be considered um, evidentiary material. So I try to take all those things into consideration and to be as meticulous about finding any of those um, materials as I can. And, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of this, right? So this is sort of a, almost like a summary question based on the conversation we've had so far. But, you know, we, we've talked about um, taking all allegations of sexual misconduct seriously. We've talked about a, a variety of different things on this front. But in terms of covering this story, like what advice would you have to a Vancouver media pool that frankly lacks a ton of diversity, you know, within our ranks? What, what would be the, the sort of key things 
um, that you'd tell, you know, like the Vancouver chapter of the PHWA to be aware of in, in covering this? Sure. Just from a really basic mm-hmm. perspective, like um, consider a person's humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so consider the human impact of anything that you write, any questions that you ask. So like I have, you know, sort of taken it upon myself to like try to do a lot of research about how to do trauma informed reporting, which is to sort of recognize the physiological impact of trauma on your brain. And that, you know, sometime, um, sometimes victims of trauma can, um, you know, they're cognition their memories and their cognition is impacted by that trauma itself so they Mm -hmm. might remember things in non-linear fashion they might have really sort of meticulous recall of small inconsequential details but timeline like might be off to them and and you know when when you I think whenever you approach a subject like this you you try to think like you know how would I want to be treated how would a family member of mine want to be treated if they were in this situation um, and to act accordingly, right? Like to just show a baseline of human decency and consideration when you are dealing with this thing. You know, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, to educate yourself, which is to understand that um, sexual assault and sexual misconduct is like woefully underreported. Um, th- I think there are some sort of like myths about false reports. Uh, studies generally suggest that it's between two and 10%. However, even those percentages um, are often due to the fact that, um, you know, what there's varying levels of how police departments and law enforcement agencies Mm -hmm. consider a false report. And it might be as simple as there's not sufficient evidence to move forward with prosecution or there's unsubstantiated um, sort of, timeline gaps or, you know, someone, a witness might not feel comfortable talking about something and those can sort of get lumped in and categorized um, with, you know, a, you know, a claim that might not warrant prosecution, but isn't necessarily uh, seen as inaccurate or Mm. false, right? So to try to like really understand that there is a whole hell of a lot of nuance here. Right. Right. Like the, that reminded me of the Roethlisberger thing, right? Where they couldn't bring charges, but the DA just made it all public, right? Which is, you know, you can press charges, but clearly if a law enforcement official is doing that, they thought there was enough there um, that an additional step was needed, right? So. Sure. Well, I've got one final question for you, Katie, and and I've seen in some corners people are saying, you know, four years ago, and you just talked a moment ago about you know, sort of that recollection and timelines and those types of things. If anybody questions the four years of time that's passed, is that discrediting the woman? I would say that's both insensitive and uneducated Mm -hmm. in terms of not understanding the dynamics of um, sexual misconduct and assault. Delays in disclosure are just extremely, extremely common. Um, You know, I can tell you that having reported on quite a few stories involving um, men being sexually abused in in hockey, um, the average age of like men disclosing sexual assault, I think is something like over the age of 50, right? And, And oftentimes it's 
you know, when they're minors. So that's just to kind of give you a sense of, you know, I've written about um, survivors who have come forward decades after they have um, processed that trauma and it has not delegitimized or made me um, doubt their account whatsoever. What it has given me is an appreciation for the journey and the scope um, and sort of the, the reverberations that trauma can have and how long lasting they can be. Um, it, it is not a legitimate, you know, gripe. I do. I, I certainly don't think to complain about the time in which a person endures a trauma and comes forward to report that there's all sorts of mitigating factors in terms of like what, what might prohibit, um, or prevent someone from feeling like they're comfortable, safe, and able to come forward. Well, I think this has been really instructive. Uh, I hope our listeners uh, agree with that. It's obviously uh, taking us outside of our comfort zone a little bit here for two guys to generally come in here and talk about the dumb things that happen, uh, you know, on the ice and, and around a hockey club. But uh, these are conversations that have to take place, and this is obviously a storyline that uh, has taken hold here. Uh, and just kind of been a, a black cloud uh, over an organization that uh, has had enough of them throughout the year. But uh, we'll see where this goes. Katie, uh, always enjoy your work and your reporting. And it's uh, so important that we have people like you doing the work that you do. So thanks so much for all the work you do. But uh, thanks for stopping by and joining us here on the VanCast. Of course. Happy to, happy to be here, guys. Our thanks to Katie for joining us. Uh, just, I think, really important to have these kinds of discussions and uh, for you know our listeners, I think, to take a moment just to step back. It's not all about what happens on the ice. And, you know, it, it's a difficult story, but we're certainly not going to ignore it here on the VanCast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, usually at the back end of the VanCast, we like to have a little bit of fun. We do the steak bed and those types of things. Again, there'll be plenty of time for that uh, with 10 games to go for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, we'll get back. We're going to be back with a, a new VanCast uh, tomorrow after the back half of this back-to-back with the Edmonton Oilers. But uh, again, Tom, uh, we put uh, the product on the ice on hold for this episode at the very least. And I, I just think that it was important and, and I hope really instructive for our listeners. Yeah, I hope people... Uh, look, I, I, I myself, right, am not fully comfortable, fully versed in covering oh, these totally. stories as well as well as I'd like to be, right? And you know, I'll be leaning on the resources we have at the Athletic. One of them is Katie internally, uh, but I wanted to lend that, and we wanted to lend that too to our audience. Tremendous perspective. I hope everyone, uh, you know, came away from this uh, or came into this open minded and came away from this with uh, uh, an education, anyway. In you know, what to expect as this developing story around the club that we usually joke and talk about with, you know, mirth and humor, even when, as as J-Pat might put it, uh, we are uh, having fun with their downfall. Um, you know, put that aside because this is a, a human story and, and one that deserves this type of attention. Yeah, we'll get back to regularly scheduled hockey talk. Uh, again, there's 10 games to go and there'll be plenty of time and an entire off season mm-hmm. that... Uh, 
you know, we'll have our chance to, to dig in on this Vancouver Canucks team. Uh, I should mention that Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of the National Hockey League, joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebron on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. So we'll see if Jake Vertanen's name and the investigation, if that comes up, because uh, certainly the NHL is aware of this situation, and we'll see what role uh, the league has in all of this moving forward. But uh, check out Bill Daly uh, with Lebron and Burnside coming up on the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. If you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Again, we'll be back. Regularly scheduled VanCast. We'll have lots more time to delve in. We really haven't talked about the weekend in Toronto. Uh, didn't talk about uh, Monday night's game between the Canucks and the Oilers and the McDavid show and his quest for 100. So we'll get back into all of that kind of stuff as we pick up with a new edition of the VanCast tomorrow. But for Tom, this is J-Pat. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.